Well, hello, church. We're in the series of the portraits of the Savior. Um, sometimes, and the reason why we do this is because sometimes when we hear Jesus saves, we think immediately that he saves us from our sins, kind of like a rescue mission. But once again, when we read the gospel, the, book, the four books of the gospels, we see that what Jesus does uh, in his saving work is far more extensive. And it is important for us to understand also because the Bible instructs us in 2 Peter. It says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So last week, uh, we unpacked how Jesus the Savior is also Jesus the Rabbi, how he teaches us. And the week before was how Jesus restores us. And if you have missed any one of those two messages, I highly recommend that you catch up on it uh, on YouTube. Just don't do it now, okay? Not now. So give me a few minutes, and then after that, when you go back, you can catch up on it. Today, we're going to unpack how Jesus the Savior is also Jesus the Reconciler. And as with previous weeks, I'd like to start us with a statement. And the statement is this, Jesus reconciles us spiritually and socially. Spiritually and socially. You know, the Collins Dictionary defines the word reconcile as this. It says, to reestablish friendly relationships with a person or people, group of people, or between people, to reestablish friendly relationships. And the opposite of reconcile is to separate. To separate. Um, take for example, amongst us here, uh, how many of us are Manchester United fans? Wave your hands. Oh, the quietest fans in the world, aren't you? How many of us are Manchester United fans? Come on. All right. How many of us are Liverpool fans? <laughs> oh my goodness. You see, you don't see Manchester United fans sitting next to Liverpool fans because they can't reconcile, right? They have to sit separately. That's the way it is. Take for example. Or take for example, uh, residents who are living south of the river and north of the river. They cannot reconcile as to which side of the river has got better food. Isn't that the case? City campus, we love you, just saying, all right? But we've got better food down here. Uh, take for example, Vegemite. Okay? <laughs> Some of you love it, and the rest of us normal people, we just hate it. <laughs> Can't reconcile. Last but not least, take for example, durian, all right? Ooh, some of us love it, and the rest of you... <sighs> some of you look upset with me already, you see? We need to reconcile. <laughs> all right, today's message is about reconciliation. Today we're going to unpack the story of a man in the Bible named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, whom the Bible tells us received salvation and reconciliation through Jesus. So let's unpack that passage today. Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was short. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your place today. So he hurried down and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when, they, when all the people saw it, they all grumbled. Now Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, would you teach us today? Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us what it means for Jesus to reconcile us back to God and to one another. Help us to grow in greater love for our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, and greater love for the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Now this guy Zacchaeus, if you don't know him, if you've never heard of his story, he has the dubious honor of being the record holder of a few Guinness Bible records. And I'm just gonna go through a few of them. Number one, Zacchaeus is the only person in the Bible who is called short, small in stature. Now if you know anything about the Jewish people, they are generally short. Right? A bit like me as an Asian person, we're generally short. But Zacchaeus is the only person in the Bible, he's the only Israelite in the Bible to be called short. So he must have been infamously short. <laughs> Some of you are laughing now. Legend has it that his friends used to tease him, you know, growing up. Zacchaeus, you ought to be a rabbi. Then at least we know your sermons will be short. <laughs> Zacchaeus, I feel so sorry for you, because when it rains, you're always the last to know. <laughs> and he got so annoyed, he started looking at his friends, looking up at them, saying, how's the weather out there? How's the weather out there? How's the weather out there? Until one of his friends got so tired that he looked at him, spat on his head, and said, drizzling. <laughs> so Zacchaeus was known to be short. Number two, Zacchaeus is the only person in the Bible who is known to climb a tree. Now kids climb trees, but men generally don't. But because of Zacchaeus, it's now biblical for us to climb trees. Amen. <laughs> Number three, he's the only person in the Bible who is called a chief tax collector. Now there are many tax collectors in the Bible, but Zacchaeus is the only chief tax collector name in the Bible. Now tax collectors, who are they? Tax collectors are Jews whose main job is to take money from their own people, the Jewish people, in order to feed the Roman Empire. So people hated them, their own people hated them. They were seen as traitors to their own kind. And Zacchaeus is no ordinary tax collector. The Bible says he's the chief. He's the big shot, he's the big kahuna. He sits high and lofty up there at the top of the pyramid. Now if tax collectors made their riches off the people, Zacchaeus made his riches off the people and the tax collectors. So he's really hated by everyone. He's public enemy number one. He was raised a Jew, but rejected by Jews. He was employed by Rome, but hated, scorned, looked down upon by Romans. He was financially rich, but he was spiritually poor. You know, he, he had material wealth, but he had no social worth. So today I wanna take from the story of Zacchaeus and help us to learn how Jesus, how the way Jesus saves Zacchaeus is also the same way that he saves many of us through reconciliation. And there are four things I want to raise today if you're taking notes. Number one, the areas of reconciliation that Zacchaeus needed. What kind of reconciliation does Zacchaeus need? Number one, the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was socially separated. He was socially separated from people. In Luke 19 verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. 
and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature, he was short. Now note that the Bible says that Zacchaeus was small and couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. Now in the Greek, it is subtle, but it's very significant. It wasn't that he was too short and he couldn't see over the crowd. He could actually position himself. But what happened was, it wasn't that the crowd muscled him, it's that the crowd outcasted him. It wasn't that the crowd was just rude to him, they also excluded him. Now why did they push him away? The Bible reveals this in verse seven. Because when the crowd saw that Jesus was interacting with Zacchaeus, they were upset. And they were upset with Jesus because they saw Zacchaeus as a sinner. He didn't deserve Jesus. He didn't deserve better. He didn't deserve any good thing from anyone because he was considered a sinner, he wasn't welcomed. And because he always did wrong, he didn't belong. So he was socially separated from the people. Turn to the person, the stranger that you say hi to just now, and say it socially. Turn to them and say socially. He was socially separated. As with some of you now, I'm feeling so weird. Number two, the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was also spiritually separated. You see, tax collectors back then, they were known as sinners. This guy is the chief tax collector. He's the chief of sinners. Now, even Jesus, he heard them saying, well, he's a sinner. But Jesus never denied it, did he? So he was a sinner. And that's why Jesus said at the end of the, 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 the story in verse 9, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Which means to say, yesterday, salvation didn't come to Zacchaeus. Make sense? So he was not only socially separated, but he was spiritually lost. He was spiritually bankrupt. He was spiritually separated. Turn to that stranger next to you and say, spiritually. So the Bible paints us the picture of a man who was both spiritually and socially separated. But then what happens? Then enters Jesus, the Son of God. He said this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So the, Bible, the way the Bible describes what Jesus does with Zacchaeus is different from the previous weeks, isn't it? Jesus healed Mary Magdalene because she needed restoration. Jesus blew the mind of Nicodemus because he needed revelation. But right here for Zacchaeus, the way Jesus saves him is through reconciliation. No longer separated, but now spiritually and socially reconciled. So Jesus reconciles us in the same way spiritually and socially. And let me unpack that for us a little bit more. Number two, point number two. The aim of reconciliation. What is Jesus' goal for reconciling? He says this in verse 9. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, like this guy, right? Hands around his shoulder. Today, salvation has come to this house. And then he turns to everyone else. For this man also is a son of Abraham. What is a son of Abraham? When Jesus called him a son of Abraham, Jesus is actually revealing how he's gonna reconcile him. So how does he do it? Number one, he reconciles us spiritually with God. He reconciles us spiritually with God. In Galatians, Paul writes this for us. So also, 
Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are the children, they're the sons and the daughters of Abraham. Because scripture foresaw that God would justify, he would make right the Gentiles by their faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So the Bible tells us that the spiritual children of Abraham inherit the righteousness that Abraham had, which means to be made right with God, to be reconciled with God. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God no longer counts your sins. All the sins that you have ever done before, all the sins that you will ever do in your life, they are forgiven because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And God no longer holds your sin against you. You are now spiritually reconciled with God. And because Zacchaeus put his faith in Jesus, he became a child of Abraham, not just biologically, but also spiritually. In the same way, when we put your faith, when you put your faith in Jesus, you will be spiritually reconciled with God. Amen. Number two, Jesus reconciles us spiritually with God, but he also reconciles us socially with one another. That same writer Paul in Galatians, he goes on to say this in that same chapter. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's children and heirs according to the promise. The Bible tells us that same faith in Jesus also reconciles us socially with one another. We're now all children of God. Everybody say children of God. Amen. And so powerful is the reconciliation work of Jesus that he obliterates all separation amongst people. No racial differences now. No social economic status differences now. No gender identities differences now, for we are all one in Christ Jesus, amen. There's a story of a pastor who is an international speaker. He goes around from conference to conference, so he flies a lot. And what he likes to do is when he's sitting on that plane, he likes to talk to the stranger next to him and they will start a conversation. But what he realizes is that every time, somewhere along the conversation, they will get to the point where they talk about, what do you do for a living? Right? And he will answer, I'm a pastor. And he realizes that the conversation dies immediately. The person doesn't want to talk to him anymore. So one of those flights, he was sitting next to an old lady and the conversation started and then they were going to the topic of what do you do for a living? So he thought to himself, I'm going to answer differently. So this is how he answered her. He says, lady, I work for a global multinational organization. We've got thousands of branches in every country all around the world. We do the business of people. In fact, we open hospitals. In fact, we run schools. In fact, we also uh, operate rehab centers. We love people and we're all about people. And in this organization, we have people from all kinds of places, all ethnicities, all languages, all races, all sizes, all ages, all heights, all shapes. And she was so intrigued, she said, this is amazing, what kind of organization is this? And he replied to her, we are the church. 
This is the church. Did you realize that? Look at the people around you. We are all so different. Yet every week we come to this place, this same city campus, Williston campus, online, to do the same thing, to listen to the Word of God together. And we all sing the same songs together. Why do we do that? It's because Jesus brings us all together. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. And Jesus reconciles us this way. And I believe for some of us today, in a very real way, he's, He wants to do the same for you in your own life. Husbands with wives, children with parents, family member with family member, friends with friends. Jesus reconciles us spiritually with God and socially with one another. Amen. Now the big question is, how does Jesus do that? So point number three, the aim of reconciliation, sorry, the areas of reconciliation, the aim of reconciliation, and now the third aspect, the act of reconciliation. How does Jesus do it? The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now at this point, I wanna invite some volunteers that I have um, spoken to this morning. Can you come on up, church? Would you welcome them? There are four volunteers that are gonna come up on stage to show us how this passage is gonna look like. Come on, give them a big hand. So come on up. Um, all right, Seth, you can stay at that corner. Yep, Margaret, wonderful. Can you just stand right here? Wonderful. Uh, Joe, can I have you right here? Jaden, you can stand at that corner. Right here, Joe. Okay. Now these four folks, they don't know one another, except for the fact that I just named them. They wouldn't know each other's names. But they attend church regularly many, many years already. They've done it for many, many years. And what I want to show you right now is in that passage that we just read, Many times when we think how God reconciles us through Christ, we think God has reconciled us, me, to God through Jesus Christ. It is me alone, it is individual, it is my personal relationship with God. But let me show you what the Bible really means when it says that we, recon we are reconciled to God through Christ. Come Jaden, hold my hand. All right, so when you get touched by God and you say yes to Jesus and you get to the point where you say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. You come to the place of the cross and you now are reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Stay here, Jane. Joe, come here. And you do the same, Joe. So when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you came to the cross and you reconcile yourself to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Margaret, can I have you right now? Come over here. When you said yes to Jesus, Margaret, you did the same thing. You say yes to Jesus and you're now reconciled to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Seth, come here. Now when you said yes to Jesus many years ago, Seth, you did the same thing. And in your own personal relationship, you said yes to Jesus and now you are reconciled to God through Christ. Can you all close in a little bit? Take a photo. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Can you see what's happening here? Four people who didn't know anyone, who didn't know each other, four people who look so different, out of different ages, different backgrounds, different languages, different countries of birth, but because they are all individually reconciled with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now they are all at the foot of the cross together. They are all reconciled with one another. They're now brothers and sisters in Christ. What used to divide them now no longer divides them because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what is happening right here? It is not just spiritual reconciliation with God, it is also social reconciliation with one another. Thank you very much. Would you clap them off the stage? Good job. Thanks, Eddie. When Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, God reconciled all people, the Bible said, and all creation in and through Christ. The old order of things, when people were separated from one another and could not live with one another, is now gone, Jesus says. The new order of things, where people and creation are all now reconciled with God and with one another, is now here. This is the new creation. This is the new order of things, says Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter two, the Bible says this, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, every group, every division, and he has destroyed the barrier. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The cross of Jesus Christ, folks, is the greatest sledgehammer in the history of mankind. It will break down every wall, every division, every separation. That's the work of Jesus Christ. That's how he reconciles us. And it is so powerful, so complete, that even the greatest walls of hostility will be broken down by the blood of Jesus Christ. 29 years ago, there is an African country called Rwanda. There, it, it, 29 years ago, it faced one of the worst genocides, which means mass killing, in the history of the world. In about 100 days, within 100 days, 800,000 Rwandans were killed. That is 12% of the entire country. Can you imagine, one in every nine person killed. And one in every nine friend that you know killed. What happened? The Hutus, the Hutu tribes, the Hutu people were killing the Tutsis people and the other minorities. Now what was scary about this genocide wasn't just the fact that people were killing one another, but they were killing people that they knew. Husbands were killing wives. Neighbors were killing neighbors. Friends were killing friends. It was just mass chaos. Madness and absolute evil. It almost broke the nation of Rwanda. But today, folks, Rwanda is one of the most successful African countries. Do you know, do you know how, it's how it's doing now? Rwanda in 2019, its is homicide rate, which means the rate of people being killed and murdered, is three homicides, three murders for every 100,000 people. By comparison, that same year, America was 7.8, more than two times the homicide rate of Rwanda. Rwanda is life expectancy, which means to say, how long do you expect a person on the average to live? In, in 1994, it was 26 years, which means to say, if you're 27 years old and you made it past 26, you're a miracle. Today, in 2019, it was, it, 2019 it was 69 years old. 
69. Rwanda, from the year 2000 to the year 2019, its economic growth, GDP, was 5% annually every year on the average. By comparison, Australia was 3%. Incredible. And all the vulnerable children in Rwanda today are so loved and so cared for that there is now zero orphanages in Rwanda. Because everyone is loving on the children. They're adopting them, fostering, bringing them into their homes. That now Rwanda has no need for orphanages. It's the first African country to have no orphanages. How is this possible, despite all that the nation went through just 29 years ago? The reconciliation work of Jesus Christ. I say it again. The reconciliation work of Jesus Christ. On the 25th anniversary of the genocide, President Kagame, he said this in his speech. The church has played a pivotal role in healing and the reconciliation between the Tutsi and the Hutu through healing workshops offered by the churches and the Christian organizations. And he ended off by saying this, our children enjoy the innocence of peace. They know trauma and violence only from our stories. And if I may borrow the words of Jesus Christ in Luke 19 verse 9, today salvation has come to Rwanda because these brothers and sisters are also sons and daughters of Abraham because of what Jesus has done. That's the reconciliation work of God. Jesus reconciles us spiritually with God and socially with one another. And the last point is this, the assignment of reconciliation. So what do we do, God, with knowing that you are our reconciler? The Bible goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible tells us Jesus didn't just do the work of reconciliation. He also gave us the work of reconciliation. Church, what are we doing today to reconcile people spiritually with God? What are we doing today to reconcile people socially with one another? What are we doing to love the least, the last, the lost in our society today? Matthew 25, Jesus says this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the righteous, the people of God answered him, but God, Jesus, when did we see all these things? When did we see you hungry and fed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and we invited you? When did we see you needing clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and went to visit you? And then the king, Jesus, will reply. He said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. There's a story of a young man who grew up in India, and as he was growing up in India, he became intrigued by the person of Jesus Christ. So he wanted to find out more about Christianity. And he thought to himself, I'm going to visit the closest local church to me the coming Sunday. So on that Sunday, he showed up at the door of the church already. He was dressed humbly because he's a humble person. He, didn't, he wasn't rich, and he was all eager to go in there. 
But then the usher at the door of the church looked at him and stopped him. Sir, stop. You're not allowed to come in. You're not welcome here because you don't fit in. What do you mean I don't fit in? Well, you see, this church here is only for the high caste Indians and only for the expatriates. You are neither, so you cannot come in. You do not fit in. Rejected, the young man left the church. He never returned to church and he never considered Christianity ever again. Years later, this young man eventually became the man who will revolutionize India. This young man became known as the father of the nation of India. This young man's name was Mahamat Gandhi. Brothers and sisters, if the usher had welcomed someone who looked different from him that day, I believe India would look different today. I believe if that church that day had captured the heart of Jesus Christ, I believe maybe the heart of India would have turned to Jesus by today. What are we doing today? Church, let me ask us, what are we doing today for the lost, the last, and the least? Karl Barth, a German theologian who studies the Bible, and he lived through World War II, he wrote this during World War II and he said this, he reflected about the church. For the millions that suffer unjustly, the global church has yet to have a heart for them. The church does not exist, guys, in heaven, but here on earth and in time. In other words, Bart is challenging the body of Christ to be the hands and the feet of our Lord Jesus on earth today. Church, let us be Jesus with skin on, amen. If we don't do it as the church, then who will? So many of us here, we support compassion and our church, FCC, is a big supporter of compassion. Thank God for that. Do you know, mission, do you know compassion's mission statement? It says this, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. I love that. In Jesus' name. Who carries the name of Jesus today? The church. Christians, Chris, Christ, Ians, Christians, you and I, we carry the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't love the last, the lost, the least in the name of Jesus as Christians, then who will? We have a part to play. Some of you, God is calling you and God has called you to the task of social reconciliation, to the vocation of social reconciliation. Some of you, God is stirring in your hearts and God is stirring in your hearts to do politics, to do law, to go into education sector. Some of us, some of us God has called you to be social entrepreneurs, to do justice and advocacy work, to work in not-for-profits. God has called us and if God has called you to do it, then rise up to the call. Take up the task. Go do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, Jesus just didn't do the work of reconciliation. He gave us the name of the work of reconciliation. Proverbs 31 says this, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Wow. 
Jesus didn't just do the work of reconciliation. He gave us the work of reconciliation. So where do we start? Where do we start? How do I begin, Pastor Dan? Let's start here. Let's start in the family of God. Galatians chapter three says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, no more male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It says, therefore now there is no Jew, no Gentile. For us, there is therefore now no Australians, no migrants, no brown skins, yellow skins, white skins, black skins, no aboriginals, no non-aboriginals, no him, he, she, her, they, them, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? We are all one. John 13, Jesus leaves us with these words, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How did Jesus love us? He loved us by choosing to go on the cross to die for your sins and my sins. He loved us by taking the bullet for us. And He wants us to love each other to the same degree that we're willing to do the same for one another, to take the bullet for one another. As I have loved you, so love one another also. Our world today needs a love this radical to break the endless cycle of social injustice, endless cycle of poverty, racial discrimination. We need a love this radical to love, to change, to affect, to transform a world so broken and so ruptured by selfishness, self-love, and sin. Martin Luther King Jr., who, read a, who led a revolution, you know, in the 1950s in America, he said this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And Jesus said it this way, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Brothers and sisters, our greatest testimony to a broken world is a radical love that we can have for one another. Especially for those of us who are in the family of God. Those of us who are disregarded, disadvantaged, or even undeserving. Six years ago, at the height of terrorism in the Middle East, ISIS, some of you might know the name, ISIS, they sent a bunch of suicide bombers into an Egyptian church, hoping to blow it up on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter Sunday. So actually, Palm Sunday is coming up on the next Sunday. But they were sending, they sent a few suicide bombers into that church and wanting to blow it up to teach Christians a lesson that you don't mess with ISIS. On that fateful morning, there was a security guard who was on duty. His name was Nasim Fahim. 
Now Nassim was at the front of the church and his duty was to look at everyone and to check the bags of everyone. And he saw one of the suicide bombers and he felt amiss. So he said, sir, I want you to go through the metal detector at the door of the church. And so the man, the suicide bomber, started to make his way to the metal detector. And you know, obviously, that the bomb is going to set the metal detector off, isn't it? And everyone's going to know he has a bomb. So the bomber was panicking. And in his panic, he detonated his 12 kilogram explosion. Nassim was probably the first man to die on the scene, together with 16 other young children and women. But because of Nassim's bravery, he saved many more people who were in the church. And a week later, on Easter Sunday, an Egyptian news channel invited Nassim's widow, his surviving widow and his surviving kids, into the studio for an interview. And the TV host asked the widow, somewhere in the conversation, he says, so how do you feel about the whole thing? How do you feel about the man who killed your husband? And the widow looked at her and said this, I am not angry with the man who did this. I want to tell him you put my husband in a place I couldn't dreamt of. Believe me, I am proud of him. And I wish I was there beside him. But may God forgive you. And we also forgive you. Believe me, we forgive you. And the studio went completely silent. You could literally hear a pin drop for 12 seconds because the host, the Muslim, Muslim host, was so dumbfounded, he couldn't reply. But eventually he found his words and he said this to the camera and to all the audience. He said this, Egyptian Christians are made of steel. If it were my father, I could never say this. These people have so much forgiveness, but this is their faith and their conviction. These people are made from a different substance. And he's absolutely right. These people are made from a different substance. Friends, let me tell you, that substance is Jesus Christ. That substance is the radical love of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of our Lord Jesus on earth here today. We are called to love the world as Jesus loves them. We're called to love each other as Jesus loves us. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's social reconciliation at the highest level. Church, I just want you to put aside your phones and your bags right now. Pay attention. Now, if your hearts cry today, God is speaking to you. And if your hearts cry today, is this. Yes, Lord, fill me with your radical love so that I can change the world, change the people around me by loving like you. If that's your heart's cry today, can I invite you just to stand where you are? Just stand where you are. Join me in standing up. City Campus for you as well. If your heart's cry is, yes, Lord, fill me with your radical love so that I can change the world, change the people around me by loving them like you. If that's your heart's cry, I want you to stand where you are right now, all over this auditorium, just stand where you are right now, if that's your heart's cry, because I want to pray with us. And I believe it takes an understanding of the radical love of Jesus Christ. It takes an experience of the radical love of Jesus Christ in your life that will make it possible for you to love like Jesus.
So right now, for those of us who are standing, can I ask you to lift up your hands? Even if you can't stand up, it's not convenient for you to stand up, raise your hands up. And I'm gonna pray for all of us as we go into worship. Lord Jesus, would you come and do the work that only you can? Would you show us how powerful your love is? How radical your love is so that we can love the people around us radically. We know that you've called us to do the task and the work and the ministry of reconciliation, to bring people back to God and to bring people socially together once more into the family of God. But we don't have what it takes. We need your love. We need your love in us to fill us so that we can give that same love to the people around us. So Lord, with our hands lifted up, would you fill our hearts right now with your love? Would you help us love on the people around us? Would you help us to be more like Jesus? Because there's a world waiting out there to be saved. There's a world waiting out there to be loved. There are people out there who are waiting for reconciliation, for welcome into the family of God. Help us to love them as you do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Church, would you stand up as we get into time of worship?